This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's Q&As. Thanks to everybody for their feedback about the new camera setup. I probably should have been a little bit more clear about what I meant, though. The silly, funny background replacement that I started out with last week was just because I like being silly. What can I say? I'm a dork. But this right here, what you're seeing, is the actual example that I should have been using, and I should have saved the silly for last. But I kind of like it. I think this is fine. And yeah, you do get some weird image processing because I have the background blur in software, so it kind of mimics the look of a 35 millimeter lens. But I'm kind of digging this, so... Anybody's thoughts, you know, even the people who thought the other camera was better, if you watch on video, maybe take another moment to post your thoughts and see. If not, if you listen to audio only, this means nothing to you anyway, and that's totally awesome. I don't care where or how you listen to these. I just very much appreciate that you do. So anyway, let's jump in and see what we got this week. First up on Patreon, Christian Meath wanted to warn everybody about the Klipsch R41PM speakers. They bought them after watching the shielded speaker video and can confirm that they're definitely not shielded, even though the Klipsch data sheet says they are. Their D20 experienced major color issues when using these next to it, which they managed to fix most of it with their degaussing wand. Do I think this is an issue we could take up with Klipsch? Their data sheet is flat out incorrect. Also, on further testing, it seems like the magnetic field interference is coming directly from the speaker wire terminals. Is it possible that the speakers are indeed internally shielded, but the terminals will always have a magnetic charge? So to go through a couple of those, um, first and foremost, that's exactly what I found as well. When I contacted them directly, they were basically just like, why do you care? You know, one of those, one of those deals. So, um, you know, it, I don't think that's an issue we could really take up with them. That they're going to care about. They're a bigger company. They're not going to change how they do things. They might not even change the manual, but, you know, legally speaking, though, that is one of those things where that's false advertising and that is not the product that you purchased. But, you know, you need to contact a lawyer to figure out what exactly that means. I'm pretty sure that just means you would get your money back or you might be able to sue for the price of the degaussing wand. But, you know, the gas to get to the courthouse would be more expensive than getting a degaussing wand. So I don't know. Um, uh, how about the magnetic field coming from the speaker wire terminals? I'm going to say probably not. Now, I'm not an expert in magnetic field technology uh, or, or research, I mean, but what the way these magnetic shielded speakers work is there's like a metal cone on the back of the speaker. And that is a magnet that reverses the, uh, the field of the other magnet in order to dissipate that. So by having metal screw terminals near it, I don't think that would affect it at all. I just think 
what most likely might be happening is since those are metal terminals and unshielded speakers, the magnetic field is probably pulling sort of towards those things. So you're, you're seeing the interference because of the direction that it's going in. And if you were to do something like, I don't suggest doing this by the way, but if you were to cut out those metal terminals or if you were to take the speaker out, then it would be right by the back cone area. But all of this stuff is guesses. Every, actually, every word of this answer is a guess, but I feel like it's an educated guess. So I wanted to, you know, I just wanted to kind of talk it through and, and kind of get this info out. And if anybody disagrees, as always, let me know. But yeah, I, I just, I think that hunting down shielded speakers is going to be way harder than expected. And I think we have to find companies like Ascend Acoustic that would just make shielded speakers for us. Except uh, it seems like they, they think it's silly to have a magnetically shielded subwoofer and they won't do it, which is just, it makes no sense. If they think it's silly, why would they have really awesome bookshelf speakers that are shielded? I don't know. Anyway, um, you know, thanks for uh, chiming in, Christian, and hopefully we can find more reliable magnetically shielded speakers. Gemini Man had a question regarding PS2 consoles and refurbishing them. They've seen providers offer services for many older systems to recap the capacitors, but they've never found someone who does this for the PS2 or even recommends it. Is the PS2 different from other consoles to not eventually need a recap? Um, Tim Quillity responded to you and basically everything they said is correct, but I'll just do this in my own words because what the heck, it's my Q&A. But the, the answer to this is multi-tiered. First of all, there aren't known bad capacitors like the original xbox has that one that always leaks like all of the ones in game gears and duo consoles there aren't known repeated issues with those caps next it is a newer console than those other machines not the xbox but i mean the the game gear and the, the duo consoles so they will last longer but all capacitors will eventually die uh, especially the can caps because their electrolytic fluid will either leak out or dry up so at some point, we're going to start needing PS2 cap replacements, but I don't think that's an issue at all, except for the power supply. And if you were going through the trouble of refurbishing a PS2, you might want to consider that. Um, you know, it really just depends on what it is that you're going to be using it for. But if you don't have any issues whatsoever, it's probably not something that you would need to do. You know, replacing the laser or, or it's basically keeping the CD-ROM assembly is going to be probably the thing that's going to be the, the most that you'll run into but recapping the power supply is never going to be a bad thing because those are might be the first ones to go depending on how these things age but yeah i mean i think all of these things i think every electronic device that has capacitors if you want to keep them running you're going to have to eventually replace them uh, some might last 50 years some might last five but it's all going to have to be done at some point but I think in the context of what you're talking about, just keep paying attention to the scene, you know, reference console mods, the wiki, and just see if any issues start to crop up. And if you start to hear people all over, all over the world saying, oh, you know, the third capacitor from the left on my PS2's power supply is leaking, then you'll know there's an existing issue just like with the Xbox. But for now, I think you're mostly safe, but I'd love to hear other people's opinions about that. Maybe there's issues that I just haven't heard of yet. As always, feel free to comment if I'm missing something.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tim Quillity wanted to chime in about the webcam, actually, as did Mike over on Floatplane. So I figured I would just kind of answer these both at once. Mike preferred the old camera setup because the background replacement is jarring. I talked about that at the opening, uh, but they generally just watch audio only. And it seemed the video seemed way better on way better later on. So obviously, Mike was referring to my silly background replacement versus what I'm doing right now. Uh, and also, Tim Quillity said, as an always visual visual watcher. Wow, I'm sharp today, right? All I'm drinking is water, I swear. But (laughs) as an always visual watcher, they thought the webcam was more than adequate. They watched the episode in two parts, thus forgetting I was even using the webcam in between. And when they came back to the video, they didn't notice or think anything was weird. So I do really appreciate the feedback because my setup is always about efficiency and quality. And unfortunately, efficiency's got to come first most of the time when it comes to shooting videos, not for lag test results or, you know, any of the nerd data that obviously is the number one thing, but I'm just talking about shooting and production because I just, I I try to juggle too many things. I know it's my own fault, but the quicker I can get these done and the easier I can get these done, the better. So videos like this, where really like me being here is just to make it feel a little bit more personal. You don't need to see me for any of these, you know, even the weekly roundup videos. I just like to do it because I like, I like people to feel like we're hanging out together. But to do that in a slightly easier way means I get to keep my GH5 always on a tripod. And in fact, that is now right next to me with a new lens that I'm going to be using for this uh, next video that I'm shooting. But it just, it saves me so much time because yes, when I leave the camera up where the webcam is, I just reach around the back, I power it on, you know, I, I flip on the capture card and that's it. But then when I need to go take footage of something else, I have to disassemble all of that. And if you happen to have watched my room tour video, you know that this is dangling on a mic stand on an upside down uh, reel of blank CDRs. So not exactly the safest thing. And uh, you know I don't want it to fall over and it's a pain to kind of go through everything. But I will absolutely use the camera for the fancier videos, even though the me shots don't even matter in those either. I want those to feel professional. Whereas I want these podcasts to feel informative. So, you know, I, I'm trying to still make it seem professional, but I don't know. I, I just, uh, I don't know if everybody else is bored to death of hearing about me talking about this stuff. I just really enjoy sharing what I've learned with other people because there's just been so many times over the years that myself and other creators have traded tips that have saved each other so much time and so much money. So I like to talk about these just because I'm a nerd and like to talk about tech, but also for that reason as well. So my apologies if I'm boring you all to death, but please just remember that I always timestamp these. And if I have a little chat at the beginning, it's never more than a minute or so. So uh, yeah, anyway, thanks to Tim and to Mike for chiming in on those. Next, Lily Larceny wanted to chime in about the Wii U bricking stuff and said they found a tool to restore a bricked Wii U. So I will post that 
for anybody that wants that as a reference. I haven't had time to do it because I haven't even had time to power on my Wii U to see if it's dead or not. But I, I find this stuff very helpful. And if anybody's tried this guide, please let me know your feedback. Did it work? Was it good? Was it not? I don't I don't know anything about it. So I'm going in there with zero, zero preconceived ideas other than here's a guide. I don't know what it's like. Also, they were curious if I had lag tested or planned to test the AVE HDMI mod for the Wii. And if I remember correctly, I've had Voltar's video queued up since it was released. And it's just long and I don't have time to watch it all yet. But if it's a mod that has simultaneous HDMI and analog output, this would be super, super easy. I could just take two CRTs, one multi-format, one not or, or two multi-format, whatever, and just feed the outputs to both of them and then have that with a, a high-speed camera. And you wouldn't even need a thousand frame per second camera. I, I think just doing like 240 FPS on your phone or 60 FPS on a decent camera should be more than enough to show if the frames on the 240p test suite are clicking off at the same time. And that should be all you need for the lag test. So if anybody wants to do that, uh, let me know. I'll promote the video. If anybody wants to lend me one, I'll, I'll give it a shot real quick and see. Uh, it would be a pretty quick live stream, but I could certainly do it for everybody. And uh, But yeah, I want to learn more about that mod because it seems pretty cool and it seems like something that'd be worth uh, just kind of worth teaching people about and letting them know it's available. I just haven't had time to watch the Voltar video. Also, in regards to Wii U stuff, Dan Bailey said thanks for following up on the question they had last week. They look forward to seeing a live stream where I back up the NAND. Yeah, I still would love to work with somebody who'd be willing to go on camera talking about Wii hacking. I know with the big N, you never know if you're going to get in trouble for that stuff, but I take the very strong stance of I don't care at all. There's nothing that I'm going to be doing that's that's stealing. So whatever, I'm very confident in just showing the stuff. And if I get in trouble, I'll deal with it then. But I don't advocate stealing games that are brand new and still for stale. I don't I don't jailbreak my stuff to steal things. So and I think I make that message clear enough, regardless of the trolls that always like to remind me that downloading a ROM is illegal, but whatever. <laughs> I don't think I'm in any danger for that, but hopefully I'll be able to follow up and do a live stream like that soon. Tim says, long time watcher, first time writer. Welcome, Tim. Glad you joined the Q&As. Uh, Tim said, I've been going through the process of ordering PCBs, uploading designs, bill of materials, etc. If they downloaded some zipped Gerbers and a bill of material, how could they generate a pick and place file? So that's something that has to be done in the software that created the Gerber files. And a lot of people might generate that along with the full design. Some people might only po post the board file requiring you to either reverse engineer it or ask them to just generate that for you. And I've been showing the step-by-step -step process and I've been showing all of the bumps in the road because I want people to, to see how much of a pain all of this stuff is. And it's not that I want to discourage people from doing it. I just want to, I want people to get realistic expectations for this. And one of the things that we talked about one of the weeks, which, you know, I wish I had time to go into a lot more detail, but we had generated these files and in, including the pick and place and bill of materials in Eagle, a very common paid software that people use. And there was tons of issues with it. So we filtered that file through Easy EDA after it was all generated, and then that seemed to work fine. And I've also seen KiCad files just work. 
So there's a lot more to just saying, oh, post the pick and place and everything else. It, depending on what the fabrication place that you're going to, they might have different rules and stuff like that. So basically, I would kind of just look and also more importantly, if you're somebody who is posting open source designs, consider doing all that post the pick and place, the bill of materials and everything else. And if you or the bill of materials might be a lot of work. So, you know, if you want to do that unpopulated and ask the community to populate the component, you know, the links to all the components, that's cool, too. But also kind of let people know where you order stuff from. So if you're somebody that only uses, you know, company A, to always make your PCB assembly designs, put that in the notes and just say, hey, uh, this pick and place and, and bomb file was tested with X manufacturer, you know, wherever else you go, you're on your own, but this is the one I've used. That would be a helpful piece of information, but I'm not saying that open source designs have to have that. I'm just saying, if you're somebody like the exact situation of the SCART cleaner, where hopefully, hopefully, this is a finished project. I still got to test one or two things, but when I release these files, assuming that it, it was built correctly, I'm going to just come right out and say, I showed this entire series uh, on how to do these using JLC PCB. It should work with all of the other fab houses, but these are tailored to that as well as to LCSC, that part distributor. And I would just ask that if people set it up at other places, maybe they consider posting the files and I'll just rezip it and re-upload it with the different ones in there. So, but if this was a project that I wasn't going to be going to, you know, I didn't keep testing. I just hand made them. Then I wouldn't want to post that. Because I would post the, a generic pick and place file. Uh, but I would also say, hey, I haven't tested this yet in an assembly house. I'm not sure if this works, but I did hand assemble it and it did work. So hopefully, hopefully that made sense, but please feel free to keep asking questions. And if I went down a, a rabbit hole that wasn't what you asked, then no problem. I'll, uh, you know, I could do it. I'll do what I can next week and follow up. Tony Shadrick wanted to chime in on the conversation of getting magnetically shielded subwoofers. And they think maybe one of the ways we can go about doing this is finding a smaller company like Ascend Acoustics that already offers some kind of magnetically shielded speakers and just saying, what is it going to take to make this happen? And I think I pretty much already know the answer to this. It's going to require a magnet that is designed to fit around the back magnet of a speaker at the reverse, exact reverse polarity of that magnet. So it's going to be something where maybe you could find something off the shelf, but really, I think it's going to be one of those things where you would have to have it custom made, which wouldn't be a huge deal. It's not going to be a million bucks to do that, but there is going to be a cost involved in that. So the other thing is, what is the uh, the final target price of this subwoofer? Because when you take something that's a quality mass manufactured, mass manufactured product, like the ELAC subwoofer that I have, you get a lot for your money. But as soon as you start talking about having something custom made, well, what is really the best thing for everybody? Are they going to sell a product that has a built-in power amp to it? Or is this going to be for a higher end market where they're going to say, no, we're just going to put a magnetically shielded subwoofer speaker in a sealed case in an enclosure and you get your own power amp? Well, that's cool too. But what about people like me that can't afford to get, you know, seven power amps and, you know, really high-end individual speakers like that. So I, I like where your head is at. I think what we really need to do is figure out 
one of two things. Is there any manufacturer that'll just do this for us? Maybe we put a minimum order in of 20, so we get all of us together to agree to buy one, get it for a decent price, and they'll just list it on their website, and I'll obviously post about it, and hopefully this will be worth their while. Or we go about it a different way, and we find a, a speaker right now, a, a subwoofer that we feel is decent enough quality for the price, that we could find a reverse magnet to go right over it and it would have to be in an enclosure that is that is you're able to disassemble so like the elac bookshelf speakers are sealed together so you would have to cut or crack those open it's just it's not something i would want to ask anybody to do but i have absolutely seen subwoofers where you know you take the grill off the front you know, just the soft part of it. You, you could just unbolt the speakers and you, you kind of have to wiggle them a little bit because there's a little bit of silicone sealant in there, but you pop the subwoofer out, you would put the magnet on top, probably dab a little silicone around the magnet to make sure it stays, put some silicone around the inside of the speaker, put it back in and you're done. Anybody with just a tiny bit of patience should be able to pull that off. So that is the other thing I, I would hope is maybe there's already a speaker out there that everybody around the world could just grab one from Amazon and we add our own magnet to it that was also readily available worldwide. But to be perfectly honest, whatever the solution is, I'm all ears. I just would like something affordable. And of course, high-end crazy audio stuff always intrigues me. I just could never afford it. But I'd, so I'd really like to see an affordable solution out there. But anybody have any thoughts? I'm all ears. And if I could be of any help, definitely let me know. Well, that's it for this week. If you'd like to participate in these, ask any question you'd like wherever it is that you support, but please put them in the latest Q&A posts because the way these services work, I can't really figure out what's a new question on an old post. Plus, as you saw today, I just love scrolling through in real time and having this conversation as if we were all kind of hanging out together. All of the services are available, so just wherever you are, if you have a question, fire away. And if not, hopefully you still like listening to these. And if you have any questions, you know where to find me. But anyway, as always, thank you all so much, and I'll see you next week.